Good day. Welcome to Shepherd the Sheep. On this podcast, we're going to be talking about the church as a training institute and how knowledge should produce, what knowledge should produce, and what knowledge should not produce. Tonight with us is Gino, Jason, and Ramil. Good day. Welcome to Shepherd the Sheep. It's been a while, but good to be back in studio. And tonight, live with us is uh, Ramil's back in the house. Welcome. Hello. What's up, Ramil? Yeah, it's good to have you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah this it's is a, a podcast post elders meeting. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, post elders. It's like elders pillow talk. There you go. Uh, yeah, these are the things uh, we're thinking about after our elders meeting, and so uh, as we lay on our pillows at our own homes. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. yeah. So, but uh, it's interesting because uh, well, there's a lot of things we want to talk about in the upcoming podcast about children in the church and teenagers in the church and you and teenagers and you and children and uh, you and your spouse and marriage and. But we we didn't really want to talk about that tonight uh, because kind of contemplating some uh, some details of those podcasts. So we asked this kind of question: What's everybody thinking about? And the interesting part is that uh, we found that that we, a couple of us are really thinking about one or two issues uh, here regularly at this time. And so um, you know, as as I'm teaching through John three and faith and looking at different nuances of faith from the Book of John. Uh, Ramil also has been, um, reading Job and studying first Timothy and prepping for, um, the Saturday, uh, study. And so it's interesting because this question of knowledge and study and understanding came up and, and really that's been on my heart for a while too, uh, especially, um, maybe even seeing how John three sets us up for John four. Uh, to where Jesus says to the woman at the well that um, you're to worship in spirit and in truth. And so that that the idea of truth and knowledge has kind of been on my heart a lot lately. Uh, and to the point to where even thinking about what knowledge, sh- like as believers grow in knowledge, how do I know I'm growing in knowledge in the right way? realizing that there are warnings in scripture about how not to grow in knowledge, right? There is a danger of like knowledge can be dangerous. Um, and then even interesting in our Ephesian study, right? All these worlds start to collide, uh, John and the Ephesian study and the, the Saturday study and the men's study and all these things start to collide when you realize that, um, that knowledge is not alone the end all goal Right, that the end all goal is worship, and yet scripture ties love into knowledge uh, very, very vehemently to the point to where, you know, you start thinking about, wow, what, 
what is the proper response to knowledge? And, and I think that's, that's probably a, a healthy discussion for us to have as a church because at some level the church is a training institute. We are disciple makers. Mm-hmm. So we're teaching other people. We're, you know, it's, um, you know, I don't want to try to be mean or throw anybody into the bus or, or be that guy that like pounds on other churches for the way they do things. Um, but like worship is not just an emotional event. Mm-hmm. And so um, though, though our affections and our emotions can grow in corporate worship, uh, it's not an event where we seek to have some emotional, right? Experience. It's not a sporting event. Right. Where we're hoping to have the emotion of winning. Um, well, yeah, the, the emotions are not the end goal, or the feeling of euphoria is not the end goal of worship. Yeah. Which, yeah, which, you know, that's a normal thing today. Yeah. I think, or norm, uh, that is a goal for some. Yes. Yeah, because Maybe. then every week, I remember in Oklahoma hearing like, oh, I, I come back every week to refill my cup up. And it's like, with what? And I realized it's emotions. They're, they're, mm-hmm. they're seeking the emotions that the, the music, and it was orchestrated like a concert. And you're like, well, yeah, I guess, I guess this is concerty enough that, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. And so I have a problem with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think John, four, the woman at the well, addresses that. Like, there's going to come a time where you have to worship in spirit and truth. And um, Kevin Van Hooser in his article on the woman at the well brought up a good point that not only is that indicative of a standard that that we are to worship in accordance with his spirit and truth. But there's also a sense in which our worship needs to be growing in knowledge and wisdom and understanding of scripture. Mm-hmm. And so, right. It's not just enough to come in and say, Hey, we all worship. We've all defined our God under the name Jesus. And so we just mentioned Jesus. Like we, at some point you have to start to know who Jesus is mm-hmm. and not only who he is, like not only the facts of his life, you know, born of a virgin, you know, fully man, fully God, grew in wisdom and stature, taught, died on the cross, was resurrected, conquered death, atoned for sins, resurrected, ascended into heaven where he sits at the Father's right hand. But at some point, too, in understanding Christ, you've got to start to understand not only who he is, but how he thinks, what motivates him, what ethics he's concerned with, and you've got to start to conform your thinking into those thinkings as well. Yes. Right. Yeah. So um, I think maybe step one is talking about, right, that maybe those areas, like when we talk about you, you need to grow in knowledge, what, what kind of knowledge are we talking about here? Hmm. Yeah. Um, and I just gave my answer, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, interesting. What kind of knowledge? Um the source of knowledge, right? It's interesting because what uh, even even in even in the churches with that that um, are fueled by emotions, uh, they are teaching something. There yeah, there are. is knowledge there, and and uh, the end of the knowledge is maybe you know Jesus is your he, he Jesus is here to serve your every need. Yeah, maybe that's what the that so if that's the knowledge that they're teaching, and it's you know uh, like superficial level Bible. Yeah. Um, 
or, or not even faithful to the Bible, then it, it's wrong knowledge, right? So where do we get the right knowledge? Yeah. Um, and it, it's got to start with God's revelation. Mm-hmm. And what is he revealing? Um, ultimately, he's revealing a self-revelation. It's a revelation of himself. Yeah. Um, so that knowledge, the, the ultimate, ultimate knowledge is knowing him. Uh, he's a standard of truth. He is truth. Um, so like all truth starts from who God is and what he says. Yeah. I, I think you got to start there because yeah. if you don't, you're, you're already lost. Yeah, so I that's agree. like, that's like the foundation of basic, right? We start Bible. What did God say? What yeah. is his mind? Yeah. What did he say about himself? And that's what we're, so like when we're seeking knowledge, we're really saying, what is God like? And what has he revealed about himself? I think that's a way to ask it maybe. Yeah, no, it's a good, it's good. Yeah. Cause like I would, as you're talking, obviously second Timothy three sixteen, all scriptures inspired by God, that word inspired could be God breathed and it is profitable for teaching. Right. Again, so this goes with our theme of the church is a training institute which means we are under, we are seeking to understand scripture and then teach scripture because all scripture is inspired by God is profitable for teaching for reproof the idea which which is an interesting right because even there is the reality that um, that scripture that you may need your mind corrected mm-hmm. you know so for reproof like scripture may say to you Hey, the way you're thinking about something is faulty, and you need to change. Mm, yeah, Romans twelve, we're doing your mind, yes, which leads to correct worship. Ultimately. Yes, yeah, for correction, which might be a little different nuance than reproof, but it might also be the same kind of, um, you know, might might be looking at the same goal from just a slightly different angle. Angle, um, and then for training in righteousness. And why, verse 17, so that for this purpose, the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, e- even in that setup, you know, you think about, you know, think about parenting. And there are times where you're, you know, you tell your kid, go brush your teeth, go brush your teeth. And your wife looks at you and goes, well, nobody ever taught him how to do that. And you're like, well, I guess I guess you're right. In in your 18 months of existence, I guess nobody ever taught you. You know, so like at some point, like you're like, oh, they're brushing their teeth together, and mom's like a victory because it's you know, mm-hmm. a little less work at bedtime. Um, you know, so at some level, right? Scripture has scripture like is there to kind of like as an instruction manual to okay, hey, now I need to like have some guidance. Oh, I see how we do this. But then there are also times where where scripture says, hey, your motives and your goals are not in line with the way God views this situation or the way God or the reason why God has you where he has you. And so you've got to change your knowledge to him. Hmm. I think I think even thinking about knowledge, breaking it down, right? Um, on the one hand, I need to know the facts. So on the one hand, it's helpful to know the narrative of Scripture. Um, but I would also add that knowledge is also beginning to see um, understanding, like, what should motivate me, what my ethics should be like, and how I serve other people. 
So knowledge becomes a lot more, you know, it's not two dimensional. It's a three dimensional. Right. It's not rote information. Yes. That you kind of intellectually swirl around in your mind. It's something that has a very real effect on your convictions and the things that you value and then in turn your actions. So, you know, I, I think of what you were, you were kind of alluding to earlier, which is what's the important pieces of knowledge. And even Gino saying it's God's word, mm-hmm. it's the truth. And then, you know, like broadly speaking, and then it's the gospel. And um, it made me think of, you know, when you think about God's word as truth, it's so vast. Right, So if we've identified that the knowledge that we have to gain needs to affect our, the outworking, our convictions and then the outworking of our convictions in our actions, I guess the question in my mind starts to be, where do you start, right? And then, you know, what's the most important pieces to begin with? And then how do you build on top of that? And how does that flesh itself out in your, uh, in your living? Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting um, because, you know, use that word convictions. And the reality is we all have convictions. It's just some of us don't know. It's that some of our convictions are not um, very rooted like a like a like an old tree they're they're like a they're like a youngling tree and so it's easy to move that that little like sprig that's coming out of the dirt because it's not rooted firmly right and you think about psalm 1 mm-hmm. you know um that that we need to be rooted so that no matter what the season mm. yeah yeah, planted. Well, it's a, that tree in Psalm one is planted by the river. Yes, um, you know, there's, a, there's there's some kind of nutrition going into that that tree. Um, it's fueling that tree to grow deep and strong. Yes, it's not. You know, it's not going to be driven away like chaff. Um, right. So, uh, but you, you're talking about like we were talking about earlier before we started, like how growing in knowledge should uh, lead to. Right worship, uh, it should lead to love, it should lead to wisdom. Yeah. Um, and so in your thinking, like, how does that work out? Like, in terms of, like, we're thinking, uh, in the, are we thinking in the realm of theology? Are we thinking of, like, what, what do we need to know specifically? Um, what do we need to know about God? What do we need to know, need to know about Christ? Like, yeah. like, how do we grow? Yeah. Boy, that's a big question. I I almost kind of want to talk a little bit more about knowledge, though. If that's okay, Do and then talk about how knowledge should flesh out. Do it, because like I think maybe that's in, in my communicating with people. Sometimes um, I get the sense that that what people are necessarily seeking. Okay, first of all, I get I get the impression that there's some people that don't think they need to grow in knowledge, in God's knowledge, and so for those people, I'm. I'm not shocked to see a lack of conviction of the need to see what scripture says. Mm-hmm. Right. But then there are other people 
where um, who can quote a lot of Bible but are not biblical in their thinking. And that's interesting because it's like you've memorized a lot of Bible, but you don't have the wisdom of understanding how to apply scripture to the issue because yes, you're quoting, but you're not seeing necessarily how to gauge the situation and the facts of the situation and how the scripture actually then informs our motives and actions and the way to think about the situation. And even sometimes I think, you know, you come to the Bible with this very black and white view and, and which is fine. There's a lot of black and white truth in scripture. So that's not what I'm saying. There's no black and white truth, but like the Proverbs are genuine, are, are, are general truths that often apply but understanding the wisdom of Proverbs is actually knowing when to apply it. Right. Yeah. I, I was reading a book recently where the book was talking about intellectuals and, you know, how intellectuals will be in their kind of closed walls of a university pontificating their theories and then they'll throw their theories out there in the world and because they're sort of sheltered by their own universities, the people out there in the world who read their thoughts and ideas are the ones applying it. And those are the people who are impacted by their thoughts and ideas. Meanwhile, they're insulated inside of their, their community of thought. And so there's almost no consequence to them if yeah. they have bad ideas or good ideas. Yeah. You know, and they just keep churning out these ideas, these yeah. theories of how, whether whether it's society or how you run your family and so on, or the government. And basically the author is making the case that there needs to be some kind of connection between an intellectual's churning out of ideas and them realizing what those ideas are doing in real life. Yeah. And uh so I think what you're getting at, biblically speaking, is um, as a as a let's say a person who's studying scripture and the Bible, you have to make the connection between the theology you're taking in, yeah, and how that theology is flushing itself out in your life and affecting everything around you, yeah, the people you you minister to, interact with, help, and all of that. If you're just kind of in your corner with you and your Bible and all of your books, you know, collecting knowledge and throwing theories out there, and you have no engagement with people, and you have no clue how your ideas are affecting others, be it theological, then there's a disconnect between your knowledge and your really wisdom. Yeah. Because wisdom, as you say, is applied knowledge. Yeah. Right? No, that that's that's good because um kind of you know the I you make you know the ivory tower, you know, your knowledge works in an ivory tower, but it's not real to the real life. And and kind of as you're talking, I think that's the beauty of the church. That's what makes the church so unique. Is on the one hand, you know, when you come to church there's this realization that, hey, I need to understand the scripture. 
And so that's why the pastor is going to dig into deep to the scriptures because there's some kind of unpacking and repackaging the text that to where like, I know my sermons are, um, sometimes I don't break them down like and show you all the Greek because I don't think I need to. Like I'm trying to, I've done all that work and repackaged it in my mind and I'm trying to re put the movie in front of you so that you're hearing the, the kind of what I think the motive and the will and the purpose and everything that's behind and in the text coming together. And hopefully what that's doing is teaching you what the text is trying to say. Um, but, but there's that part of you, right? When you're at church where you realize, Hey, there at a Bible, whether you're Bible, whether you're, when you're with the church, whether you're a Bible study or whether you're with corporate worship, right? There is, there is some kind of, I need my mind to be fueled by what the text says and what I'm being taught. But then that's where the fellowship becomes so important because now you start, right. You're still learning. Now what you're starting to learn is who is this person in front of me and what are they going through? You know, and if I don't know you very well, you know, I can shoot from the hip and blast a Bible verse at you, but it doesn't mean I actually just ministered to you. Yeah. Yeah. The, f- the fellowship is your lab. Yes. Right? So yeah. think of your uh, studies as your lecture class. Yeah. And the fellowship is your lab. Yeah. It's applied sciences, if you will. No, that's a good... Right? Uh, I so, like that. That Honestly, in seminary, Bible study kept me grounded because, you know, you're sitting there and, you know, your sim students are so nerdy and they talk about sim nerdy stuff at lunch three, four days a week, and you're talking about all this, like, you know, super lapsarianism. And then you go and you talk to, like, you know, people at Bible study, and they're like, yeah, my kids are, like, up at three in the morning, and there's, like, they peed everywhere. And you're like, you know what? I don't think super lapsarianism is, is what we you want to talk about right now. And so you have to, like, come back. I always said, like, it's Friday. Like, Lord, what is the chapter and verse for this? Yes. Oh, yeah. Like, Friday forced me to come back to reality. Right. Yeah. Every other Friday at the Bible study forced me to like take my head out of the clouds and realize, you know what? These are good people that love Christ and they they don't necessarily need to hear about like, you know, the way the Holy Spirit engages demons, you know, it's like, (laughs) I don't know. I don't don't think we ever studied that in seminary, but I was just trying to think of something like. That, well, you know, yeah. then, then I now have to ask you guys because you, you know, obviously you both went to seminary, and from what I understand, the main tenets there is that you're taught to study the word, yeah. exegete scripture, yeah. and then, um, and then you're basically asked to come up with your own conclusions as you study scripture for the rest of your life, ministry-wise, and then also you're exposed to the breadth of existing bodies of literature yeah. that that men of old have done. So what is the purpose of all of that for you guys now today and how what what is the value of that for you guys and and like how much of that do you use all the time? You know, what's the difference between like like are you using any of it? What percentage of it do you use and why or why not do you use that much? or that little of the, of all of that. Are you talking about everything we learned in seminary? I'm going yeah. to go get a cookie. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. Right. It's, it's, um, 
uh, it's the, the goal of seminary is, or one of the goals I should say, is to give you as much information in very little time, right? Mm. And uh, right, you, you're, it's like it's it's same thing with a sermon. You study for a sermon, and you're probably going to preach uh, only. Um, uh, a small percentage of everything you studied. You don't preach everything you studied. Um, but all that stuff, it's it's kind of like a, 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 a glob of information. And if you learn how to connect everything, the it, it, give, it actually makes you wise, right? You learn church history and you realize, I mean, it's one of the most enlightening classes for me. I, rely, I realize that men are men at yeah. best, <laughs> even throughout the ages, um, and that really, it really humbled me. Like, made me realize, like, we're, we're no different uh, today than than before. We all struggle. Men have always struggled and will always struggle. Um, there was no perfect church in any given era. They all, so, all to say that uh, all that uh, you know, they're, they're obviously uh, our, our goal for uh, in pastoral ministry is um, we're trying to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. Um, and all those skills, so a lot of it is skill sets that we learn so that we could execute the word, so that we could equip people to do the work of ministry. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, obviously, Jason would probably say that, um, I mean, everything is important, but not everything was important, right? Yeah. 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 Some of it's not, not needed to sit down and talk. Like some of the things you read and study, you don't need to, like you shouldn't be filling your Bible study with. Some of those things, like it's not, it's not important. Yeah. In the end, I think I realized, wow, there's way more wealth in the Bible. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what I walk away. So it's like you learn all the stuff, all to come back and say so you can trust the Bible and you can <laughs> preach the Bible and you can stand on the Bible. Gosh, it's like, oh, it's it seriously like, because you know I did part of my THM and uh, so I took a lot of Greek, and at the end of all that extra Greek and extra advanced Hebrew, I learned one thing. If you'll spend more time understanding the context, the English Bible will make sense. Mm-hmm. So I spent all that time, mm-hmm. all that money, to come back and realize, yep, if you get the context, you'll yeah. be okay. And the translations are pretty good. Translations, <laughs> yeah. And that, that's even funny to me yeah. now, too, when I hear people bash different translations, and I'm like, actually, that one's pretty good. You know, and I hear people, you know, they, yeah, it's funny. Like, oh, but there's, they, they did this, and it's like, eh, come on. Like, yeah. Yeah, it just, you know, so I think I think what it helped is it helped me be a better student when I read. Mm. Yeah, so uh, like law school doesn't actually prepare, it doesn't teach you a lot, it prepares you to think like an attorney. Mm-hmm. Right. And seminary didn't necessarily teach you every aspect of theology, it taught you how to think like a, like a student of the text. Mm. Yep. And so some classes taught you about this tool that you're going to use, some of them, you know, it's like, that's it's really like, you know, you're just an apprentice, you know, and you're studying under your, your master craftsman and he sits down and he says, okay, now I want you to understand this part about the hammer. And, you know, you're kind of like sitting there not really paying attention. You don't care until the master craftsman starts doing something. You do something wrong and you break your hammer and he goes, see, you weren't listening to the hammer. Mm -hmm. And if you had listened to my lecture, you would understood why this part, you would understood the hammer so that when you used it, you would have used it rightfully. And so, you know, I mean, today, you know, I watch Kylie use a hammer and I'm like, well, she learned from somebody how to do that. So it's great. (laughs) So I have one more rabbit trail question, then you can refocus us um, along the same lines. 
would you guys have arrived at those conclusions had you not been exposed to that breadth of knowledge? You know, I have recently thought about that. Um, I think that um, depending on who you are as an individual and working together with leaders, I think you can arrive at that knowledge through your church relationships. Mm. Um, I was not really in church environments in Oklahoma that were where anybody had the time to do that. And so that is one of those things, right, even as we have interns who are an intern, where I think about how do we do this in a way to where also knowing that there's a hundred other things going on. So at some level, there was, there was the advantage to a focus, to a focus time and spending the money and having professors grade your work. But I think you can do a lot of that in the church. And, and I think some of that is just being aware and, and, you know, some of it takes, it just, it's kind of one of those, do you have the time and are you going to be teachable and allow your pastors to help shape that? And I think at the end of all of that, the one thing I learned is as much as I loved personally some of the eschatology debates and the big picture discussions and the New Testament use of the old and textual criticism was one of my favorite things to read. Uh, it's a super nerdy, I know. But um, when I got all of all that, I think I realized, you know what? The main thing for the church is to put Christ before people and teach Christ. And so there's a part of me that's like, I think seminary was dangerous for some people because it allowed their minds to take, to take, to take their heart off of worshiping Christ and it allowed them to pursue these rabbit trail scholarships. Mm. And it's interesting is um, there are a lot of New Testament, Old Testament professors in the world that are probably not believers mm. that love the study of the text and they right. don't love the Lord of the text. Mm. And I think that's, you know, so there's a part of me that's like, I mean, obviously, you know, if they were in a church, they don't have the spirit in them. So it's not like you could be like, well, seminary took the spirit out of them. No, they never had it. You know, and so, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't think along the lines of, like, seminary prevented their salvation, but it didn't help. You know, mm -hmm. they weren't the right person. And so some people say, I want to go to seminary because I want to know these things. And it's like, well, you can actually know those things being with the church and working with the church um, and reading some of the books we recommend and sitting down and talking about these things. Like, you can learn a lot just by rubbing shoulders with people in the church, it's, you know, I think we've had guys too say, Hey, you know, I've, I've wanted to go to seminary, but now I don't really feel like I need to because I'm learning the things that I didn't know. And so sometimes that question even comes from somebody who's been a part of a seeker sensitive church and is coming out of that seeker sensitive church and going, I don't know anything. And it's like, well, of course you don't because you've been in a seeker sensitive church. And so after a year, right. Of, of faithful feeding and talking and, and teaching and explaining and shepherding, like these people grow in their knowledge in a sense to where they're like, you know what? Okay. I, I feel fed now, right? They came out non fed, you know, they've been in the, the Japanese intern camp, you know, uh, in world war two and they have no food and they get out. And the first thing they want to do is go gorge themselves when the reality is they need to start with that steady diet and, and have a healthy nurtured. And the reality is you start to learn these things through those healthy diets as well. Right. Yeah. It's not uncommon for us to hear um, young men coming here to yeah. ask about seminary yes. and should I go to seminary and things like that. And you, yeah. you, you, you guys have both said it. The church is adequate and kind of circling back around to the whole 
uh, church as an institute. Yeah. Um, I guess it does uh, bring a question in my mind also, is it fair for uh, people like me, for example, at, at knock on to seminary, to expect the church to be like a seminary in the way it teaches um, the scriptures and, and all the corollary um, content? Or is the church an altogether different kind of institute for learning mm. uh, for the church? Mm. Yeah, it's unfortunate because the, it, seminary is trying to prepare you to teach or is really trying to get you to think like an exegete. And in a sense, we're trying to get you to understand Christ. And that's through good exegesis and good hermeneutics. Um, but the reality is, um, I don't know, like if, if you came to me and said, hey, um, well, I guess my answer, I guess my answer is found in what we do, right? We see the value of Bible studies teaching through Ephesians because it's teaching through a book. We see the value of teaching through a book on Sunday. We see the value of some of these topical issues, but all of those issues are keys to our worship and being in the church and that church relationship and ministry. And seminary is not always trying to give you the information with that goal in mind. Mm. And so some of those seminary classes are wired to get you to understand that the, the textual critical apparatus of your Greek New Testament. Mm. And it's like, you know, you, you can go study that stuff. And, and there's some value in understanding how to navigate that. But honestly, at the end of the day, and this is the crazy part, after all the textual critical discussion, um, there's no major theological issues. Mm. In fact, there's no theological issues disrupted by any variant in the New Testament. Right. Which means that, you know, and so there's like over 999,000 variants. But, you know, people hear that and go, oh, is that super inaccurate? And it's like, no, it's like in 1 Timothy 1 4, uh, this word they left out an omega, and in this in this document they put an omega in. Well, that's a variant. And so if one of the scribes misspells 16 words, that's 16 variants. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, if you have 500 copies of one of those letters and 499 copies are spelled differently, that's, you know, and, and let's say there's 10, each of them has 10 misspellings. What, there's like 4,900 or something or 490? Like, inst- so you can see how the variants can add up super quick. And it's like, is that, do we really need to spend time in the church? No, you need to know Jesus Christ. You need to know the Lord. And there's a sense in which we're showing, we're trying to show you how we got it as we proclaim it as well. Mm. Um, yeah, and so I think, maybe, yeah. maybe that's where it's helpful. You can show your work. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, oh, okay, you, you came to this conclusion and it's founded, uh, you know, you, you have the skill set to show them why yeah. this is so like, so textual criticism, right? It basically you walk out of that class realizing that, wow, I can preach this with full confidence that yes. God said this. Yes, that's what it does. That's what it did for me. Yes, me too. And I'm the I'm like I'm not I'm not I'm by no means like an expert in textual yeah. criticism at yeah. all. But yeah. I walked away from that class think, thinking, wow, we can preach this. Yeah, and it's going to save people. Yeah. It's going to change people's lives. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's like the church is not. The, the church should be equipping you to do ministry. Um, you can graduate seminary and not be equipped to do ministry. 
Mm. And there is a difference. You can you can be in the church and be equipped to do ministry. Having a seminary degree does not mean you're equipped to do ministry. Because at the end of the day, it's still a people business. And seminary does not necessarily teach you um, how to engage and love and be long-suffering with people. And as we're going to talk about, knowledge needs to produce loving service towards other people. And if it doesn't, then I would say, you know, how do you know your study of Scripture is successful? And I think that is a very good question. Mm. Um, And I would answer that, are you growing in faith? Are your ethics conformed with Scripture? Um, Are you obeying God? And is there a love for him and other people? And I think we'll talk about that here in a second. But the the one more thing I want to add is, so I think kind of to summarize phase one of this podcast, um, what we're saying is that we need to realize that the church is a place for the, for knowledge to be proclaimed. And then there is a, it is an accurate assessment to say at some level, think of the church as a place where you're going to learn about Christ. You know, there, there's a, like you think about when Sunday school developed, right? The idea that, hey, we're going to teach you things from scripture came out of the Sunday school, right? Right. Sunday school is a way of saying, hey, we're going to teach Christ to you. We're going to teach you about God and, and about his word. And so I, I would even say to like to some people, uh, why this is such a big deal in our current climate is that. Uh, emotionalism is very high. And there are some people that make all of their decisions based on their emotions, right? You wake up on Sunday, well, what do I feel like doing today? And they do whatever they feel like. And then their friends from church are like, we haven't seen you in 12 months. What's going on? Well, you know, I just always like something comes up every Sunday. And it's like what they're doing is they're showing that they don't have a deep-rooted understanding of what God has said about the church worship him and the body together. Mm -hmm. And so in their mind, right, that they're, they're led by whatever, you know, and when they have that emotional drive, right in their mind, that emotion is a good thing. And the one thing I want to tell highly emotional people is that, listen, you are not governed by biblical convictions. You're governed by really your emotions. And that is a bad place to be my guess is that you have really high highs and really low lows. And when they're really low lows, it's probably like can be detrimental. Now, again, realize that I'm not saying the only reason you have high highs and low lows is because of your convictions, right? It's like sometimes, you know, yeah, keep this in context of what I'm saying, right? Like if, if you have no convictions or your convictions are slighted, or they're they're narrow or they're not they're shallow and they're not deeply rooted right in other words if if you're making your every decision by what you kind of want to do or feel like doing that day right and and you know I don't feel like going to work but you go to work cuz you know if you don't go to work you don't pay for your house and you don't pay for your kids and you don't pay for right so it's funny is that that a highly emotional person still makes it to work every day because the conviction of what happens if I don't make it to work or, you know, I know I need to be there. So there are convictions and it does, it should show the highly emotional person that you do have convictions. You do have the ability to make the right decisions, even if you don't feel like it. 
But where we often fail is to realize I need to have those same convictions about Christ and about the church and about living in a way to where his motives are my motives, his will is my will, his goals are my goals, you know, and exalting him is more important than anything else. And that at the highly emotional people, what they show is that they have not committed to growing in knowledge. Mm. That that's my, that's my kind of theory on it. Now, again, I'm going to be wrong, but you know, and if you listen to this and you say, well, there are just times where I have super convictions and I have high highs and low lows that, that, that could be too, right? I'm not saying that high highs and low lows are only the result of no conviction. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying that, that if, you can look at yourself and, and the the thing to do is to ask other people, Hey, do you think I'm a highly emotional person? Cause your friends will tell you, mm-hmm. bro, you are all over the place on your emotions to the point to where like, it's sometimes hard to deal with you. And that, that is evidence that you have not given enough attention to seeking to root your thinking in the right knowledge. Is it helpful to categorize convictions as biblical versus non-biblical convictions, right? Very helpful. Yeah, because, I mean, you said earlier, everybody has convictions. And yeah. really, most of us are walking around carrying the the little that we learn from our parents, and, or little or much that right. we learn from our parents. And our parents, God bless them, they did the best they could, you know, yeah. um, with what they had. Um, and then the rest of it is whatever we pulled along the way in life and books or whatever it is experiences. And so, you know, and we live by those convictions. That's even, and even that's even an interesting point too, right? Because some of you are parenting and making decisions as parents and adults based on what you hated as a kid and you are not going to make your kids go through the same thing. Right. And so what's interesting, right, is you still learned it from your parents but now you're going to do the exact opposite and you didn't seek to understand the wisdom of why your parents did what they did. Now, again, sometimes our our parents, none of our parents are perfect. They all made bonehead mistakes. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, they made you. (laughs) So, you know, be thankful for them. Right. But, but even there, the things that like a lot of times we don't stop and say, Hey, why did you not let me eat 12 cookies before dinner? Right. And at some point when we become a parent, sometimes those decisions become like, like there's always these times where I realize my kids are saying something I'm like one day you're going to realize the wisdom of what I said to you. Uh, but I also realize that they may end up with their own kids and be like, I'm never doing it the way dad did it. Cause I hated that, you know? So they're, they're going to give their kids 65 hours of video games a day. <laughs> That's my fear. It's a very yeah. possible. Yes. <laughs> yeah. In 20 years, it may be possible to find yeah. some way to play 65 hours into, I don't know. Yeah. 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 So all that to say that, right. So when we're talking about the church needs to be a place where you grow in understanding, um, I am trying to say, look, um, whatever you think about church, add to it. This is a place where I go to grow in knowledge. Then how do I know I'm successfully growing in knowledge? That's the second part. That was the part you brought up earlier. Mm. Well, it took it took us a while to get there, but yeah. we finally got there. Yeah. So if you made it to this point in the podcast, congratulations, ten thousand points. How do we know we're growing? Okay. Yeah, but I think that I think I think some of those diversions were helpful. Mm. Yeah. Um, so how do we know we're growing? Um. Well, again, right, Jesus, the woman at the well. 
you to be spirit and truth. There is, there is an understanding, right? That, that our worship needs to reflect him, mm-hmm. you know, and the, and the, and that conversation, the woman at the well, I think reiterates that, that it needs to be growing, you know, in spirit and truth. But, but here's a couple verses for you. First Timothy one five, but the goal of our instruction, right? So there you have the goal of our instruction. So, the reason why we're teaching, our teaching is successful if you have learned this. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Mm. And what's interesting, right, is that love and knowledge are not pitted against each other. In fact, what, what is said there is that knowledge should be producing love. Mm-hmm. And so 1 Timothy 13, which is interesting, actually, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 13. If you have a 1 Timothy 13, throw that Bible away. <laughs> you have a, you do not, that is a bad Bible. Mm. Right, so 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and right, and here it is, and I know all, all, all mysteries, and I know all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Mm-hmm. That's amazing to me. Mm-hmm. You can be the smartest biblical scholar in the world, and if you don't have a heart for God and a heart for other people, you are, the scripture literally says you are nothing. You're nothing. You're zero. You're zilch. So all that knowledge has no value if you can't love other people. And what's even more fascinating is when you get into what it means to love other people in the Bible and you, you ask the question, well, Jesus, who is it that I love? Right. And you go to like first Corinthians 12, uh, or you, God, my gosh, you go to Romans 12. <laughs> We will get there, kids, tonight. It'll happen. <laughs> Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. So that's easy. Be devoted to my church family in one another, to one another in brotherly love. Okay? Then you think about love your neighbor. Love the Lord your God, right? The first great commandment, love your neighbor. Okay, so now this is easy. Okay, it's easy to love the Lord. He saved me. I love this guy. It's easy to love, right, my church family for the most part, right? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Well, that's easy. I mean, sometimes it's not. But again, like conceptually, that's easy. Then it starts to get hard when you start to realize Matthew 5, love your enemies. Ouch. And that's where this starts to really get like, well, what do you mean love my enemies? Like, do you understand what that person does to me? Like, do you understand? That person doesn't respect me. That person doesn't give me the respect I deserve. Well, yeah, uh, honestly, like, you didn't give God the respect he deserved, and he saved you anyway. And who am I to say, God, that's good for me, but I can't do that to other people. And so what's interesting is as you start to look at what it means to love other people, and you start to look and understand what Scripture says about it, you can start to see how knowledge needs to inform you. It is like God is going to inform you through scripture 
how to love not only him, but how to love other people as well. Right. And so that's where, right, knowledge starts to change my ethics because I realize, you know what, lying's sinful, telling the truth honors God. Um, you know, there are being a thief, sinful, working for my food and my money, good. Right? So my ethics start to change. Um, but my obedience grows because I love Christ. And so that knowledge, th- this, is, this is where my head's been recently, is that, that that knowledge should produce, right, a faith and a, and a growing trust in Christ. And as I grow in my trust of Christ, as I grow in my trust of the Trinity, it does change the way I think and act towards him and my desire to obey him. You know, and so to the guy who's steeped in pornography, one of the reasons why you can't get out of pornography is is not because your co- your covenant eyes fails because you know how to work around it. Because, I mean, I think every guy I've ever known that's been in pornography that's had, corner, had covenant eyes has been like, oh, I know how to get around that. You just turn it off, mm-hmm. right? The reason is not covenant eyes. The reason is not because somebody else in the church isn't holding you accountable enough. The reason is because you don't treasure Jesus Christ like you should treasure Christ. Mm. And you don't see how he is more valuable than your sin. And you keep buying into this lie that your sin is going to produce some joy that is that's never meant to give you the joy that you think it's going to give you. But that instead that that joy is in Christ. And if you understood Christ better, you would look at your sin as sin and be like, this is disgusting. And it's not even enjoyable because Christ is joy. And so what's interesting is that knowledge about who God is begins to grow you to where you start to make those changes because your thinking changes. And so when your thinking changes you and you understand even, again, not just the facts of Jesus' life, but you begin to see, man, this, this, this creator king loves this woman at the well who is an outcast from every other person. Who am I? to not love people made in the image of God. You know what I mean? And so you start to see that, that Jesus values the world enough to come into the world and love the world and, and to die on the cross for them. And so by seeing that goal and that motive, right, that the, the rightful knowledge is to say, you know what? I need to have the same goal and the same knowledge. So, all right, soapbox. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean... I'm I'm thinking of like people that, you know, have knowledge and, you know, they sometimes knowledge is almost too. uh, The end goal of knowledge is to make people conform to what they have learned. For so, for example, like you know, we need to learn this so that, and it's almost like at any cost, so that the the ends justify the means. But see, then you're taking out love and you're taking out wisdom at that point. Right. So it's like, because right when we minister, right, it's like we need knowledge. We need to equip. We need to um, have the right knowledge to minister to people uh, the right way. But the missing component oftentimes is the, the, the end goal, which is love. Right. And then the how, how do I love the person is, I think that's the wisdom portion. Yeah. Yeah, so that's where it's like we ask questions about who God is, but in a, in, in a situation, you have to actually 
there's wisdom as to like, so how do you apply that knowledge to a, a particular situation? It's not very simple all the time. No, it's not simple. You you have to dig and, and ask the right questions so that um, you're actually finding out the, 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 the issue at hand and not just um, blanket statement trying to solve a, a, an issue, right? right. So that's, yeah. I don't know if that makes sense to you guys. Yeah. yeah. No, it does. Um, you know, it's... Um, even in that First Timothy 5 passage, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. And so what's interesting, right, is that that from the goal from a pure heart, right, that in that 1-5, um, yeah, out of a good heart, right, which means I, th- I think he's talking a little bit about redemption because your heart is good because it's been redeemed. And, you know, you have a, you have a good conscience, right? In other words, that you're, so, um, if you think about, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, I got it right this time, by the way, that's not Mm -hmm. something else, 2 Corinthians 4, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the things hidden of, because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God. And that's that pure conscience, right? And so the more I understand God, the more I say, you know what? Okay, I need to I need to wage war the way you wage war. And so um, it's an unfortunate reality that that some of us realize this relationship that I have with this person isn't going anywhere, um, right? You either love your job so much that and you get paid so well that you don't want to leave. However, this coworker is such a bear to work with. Or, oh, I don't believe in divorce, but you also don't believe in loving your spouse. But because you don't believe in divorce, you don't leave your spouse, right? And so, you know, we we have seen people in marriages think that they are a puppet master for their spouse. Mm -hmm. And they sit there and they try to manipulate their spouse and pull these strings to get their spouse to do what they want to do, you know? My guess is there's somebody listening to this that is, that uses sex to try to manipulate their spouse into getting what they want, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that is not love from a pure conscience. Mm-hmm. That is that is walking in craftiness and adulterating the word of God, mm-hmm. because God says our goal is to serve, right? Yeah, because I love God, I'm serving you the way God told me to serve you. And I'm not trying to manipulate you into actions. It is literally better for you to walk this way. But because I also have the right knowledge of God and I realize that the spirit never works on my timetable. Don't know why spirit. Come on, spirit. Work on my timetable. Right? That, that the reality is that this person is, has unbelief, sin, is being conformed into the image of Christ, and is being perfected on God's timetable so I may have to be long-suffering with this person's problems, mm-hmm. right? And they may die. That's why anytime people get married, I always say to them, don't expect this person to get better. Are you willing to love them if they get worse? Mm-hmm. And if they're like, well, no way, then it's like, then get out of marriage. Don't do it because they may get worse. What if they get worse? Are you going to be like, well, you know, I expect you to get better and you didn't get better. No, that's a wrong knowledge of, that's a wrong knowledge, right? The reality is that, that, sin is real in other people 
is real in me. And so I have to realize, right? So a right knowledge of this person makes me realize I can't manipulate them. All I can do is put the truth in front of them, love them, be long-suffering, be patient, lead them, and pray, God, please help them, while at the same time realizing, but you know what, Galatians 6.1, I too am prone to make the same. I'm a sinner too. I've, you know, I see your roof beam in your eyes, and I don't see the roof beam in my own eyes, but Matthew 5 talks about we all got roof beams in our eyes. You know, there's not a single one of us in the Sermon on the Mount. I think it's actually Matthew 7, right? There's not a single one of us that doesn't have a roof beam in our eyes. It's just easier to see other people's sin than my own. And so, you know, as we minister to people, I think that's what makes it so hard is we, we right, that, that's why it's so hard because you have to remember all of those things when ministering to people. Mm-hmm. That this person maybe doesn't know what you know. Um, unbelief's real. Sin's real. The Spirit really does change people this person may or may not actually be a believer. And you know what? I kind of minister to him no matter what information we have. Mm-hmm. We find out you're an unbeliever. Cool. We'll keep giving you the gospel. If I find out you're a believer, you know, you just may be really prideful, arrogant person and it just may take time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Like, um, you, you know, shouldn't you, let me soapbox by the way. <laughs> I don't like cutting you off though. It's oh, weird. you should, you should just <laughs> wave your hand and I'll stop. Um, well, it seems like like earlier I was listening to you and you, your emphasis really was started off with like your knowledge, how it affects you personally as a Christian, right? Yeah. How it transforms your own personal life. And then Gino like kind of brings in this like, and then when your own personal life is growing in sanctification, you then minister to others and um, and work out all of your knowledge through ministering to others. And uh, it, it, it made me think about a conversation I had with uh, Thomas recently because he, he was asking about counseling. He's like, yeah, I, you know, I want to grow in, in the counseling aspect of things. And I'm like, you know what, counseling is really interesting because it really reveals to you the holes in your theology. <laughs> <laughs> because you're going you're gonna to talk to people and they are just going to bring the wildest situations that you've never dealt with. And you're sitting there going, I have no clue. I'm, I'm like in over my head here mm-hmm. and praise God for my fellow elders yep. <laughs> and, and uh, for, for prayer and divine, you know, knowledge uh, that God gives us through the spirit because but when, once you've gone through that, it's, it's embedded in you as wisdom. And you've walked with the person who's struggling, you know, and you've both learned. Mm-hmm. You've both grown. You've both been sanctified. And I think a lot of people would come to a, biblical, a faithful biblical minister as a counselor, and they would think, well, this person's getting nothing out of this, and I'm, I'm you know, whatever. But the counselor is gaining so much, uh, you know, and learning so much. And you're really learning a lot about the deficiencies of your knowledge. And if you, you know, remove yourself from that and, and, you know, dwell in your books, you miss out on all that, that all that wisdom that you gain from, from interacting with people Mm. and their little quirky, you know, situations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, man, people stretch you. I mean, that's what they're, right? Like, it's kind of like, 
you you uh, you thought you were a great theologian, and then you got married, and you realized you know nothing, <laughs> and then you had kids, and you realize you really know nothing. Yep. <laughs> right. And even as a side note to that, right? There's this weird dichotomy. Sometimes you talk to someone, and their theology is like brilliant. I'm like, wow, this person really knows a lot more than I do. And then you run into something in their personal life. And you're like, why is there this disconnect between your brilliant theology and the way you're living your life? Yeah. Um, and that really highlights the problem we're pointing out here is, is, is your knowledge producing love, yep. you know, from a pure heart, a clear conscience, you know, yep. uh, and so on. So that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's no should we, so should we think, like, as we're, like, learning, right? Um, and I think this is where people struggle with Bible reading because they don't have a goal in mind. Um, is it fair to say that when we're studying God's Word, like, we should be looking for God to make us, um, I mean, or maybe just open statement or open question, like, what should we be looking for? When people read, sometimes they're, it's like they're they're reading to, like, grow, right? Yeah. Um, and then they they read a passage, they read a chunk, but they walk away thinking, "Well, I don't know what that did to me." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, how am I supposed to think about this? And like, how do you? I don't know. I'm just thinking about people, just generally speaking, and they're trying to grow. They're trying to faithfully grow, and they're doing all these things. And um, is is it maybe because the goal is off? I don't know. Um, I think that might be it. Because uh, if you're doing Bible reading for just Bible reading, uh, checking off a checking off a checklist, yeah, um, I don't think it's going to be very helpful. Yeah, I think you're 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 already a, there's already a problem there. Yeah, I think um, right when you when you read scripture or when you're listening to a sermon, there's you need to submit to the text, mm-hmm. and so okay. I'm not reading the Transfiguration asking how do I parent better. Why did you not tell me how to parent better from the transfiguration? Um, I probably need to realize the greatness of Jesus Christ from that passage. Mm-hmm. And um, so maybe that's a passage that should drive me to be more thankful for him or to trust him more or to realize the glory of who this guy was. And, you know, so... In submitting to the text, I think, right, Ephesians 1, 1 through 11, or, or uh, 3 through 14, those seven promises are meant to lead me to praise God and to trust Him more and to be thankful. Uh, however, chapters 4 through 6, it is fair to say, are telling me, based on these things that you have learned to be thankful and to praise God for, let those teach you how to walk so that you're walking in a manner worthy of the gospel so that you're walking like a forgiven man who was forgiven by somebody else who knows that somebody else forgives other people, right? Walk in love, walk in wisdom, you know, stand, stand firm. Um, and so I think you have to submit to scripture and say some, sometimes the Bible is trying to like, really lift high Christ. And sometimes scripture is trying to say, okay, now that you, now that I've kind of taught you that here, go do this. Right. I also think, um, 
you know, in tandem with submitting to the tech, some some small practical quirk here. Um, I've I've got this theory, uh, as Paul says, not not God, but I say this. <laughs> um, uh, like, you know, why would God reveal Himself through His Word, like through text, like stories? And I believe that the idea of stories and man identifying with uh, stories um, is an integral part of just our existence from the dawn of time. Like stories have been handed down from generations to generations. So often I think, you know, I've, I've gained an appreciation for that recently, just reading different books and things like that. And I've learned to read the Bible as a story book. Yeah. And so you're not reading the Bible like, oh, I read three chapters a day. Right. Um, check, check, check. More sanctified. Awesome. Uh, no, like I'm following this story now, you know, and I'm reading it like a novel and I'm like, this is what happens. And so on top of that, you take what Jason says, where it's like you're submitting to the text. Understand the story of what you just read. Yeah. Not, it's not some random like God. What are you telling me today? It's like what did the story tell you about God? Yes. What did the story tell you about humanity? What did the story tell you about your condition, yourself, your struggles, and what did God say to you as far as encouragement, admonishment, and all of that through the story? It really makes your reading of Scripture alive, like come alive. No, that's good. That's really good. I was talking to somebody yesterday and um, I told them, I said, why don't you give this homework to your friend that you're trying to minister to? Have them read through one of the Gospels and as they read, have them write observations down about Jesus Christ Mm. rather than what does this mean to me where you're trying to like use the text to kind of like maybe self-encourage yourself. Like there might be a place for that, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But like, I think the place for that is after the, what does the text say, you know? And so, yeah, Mm -hmm. like, so in that point, like you're trying to teach them about Jesus Christ. Well, what does the text say about Jesus Christ? Get them to start thinking about Christ too. The more I know Christ, right. And that's the thing that the interesting part about the spirit is he seems to, the more I know Christ, the more like the, the better I confess my sins and the more I want to change to be like him. Mm-hmm. Yep. I will say that there is something unique that happens when you're growing in knowledge in the community. Yeah. So I know we kind of mentioned this, um, but we do work out our our understanding of the scriptures as we explain it to people um, and walk through people walk people through maybe the what God says about their situation in 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 a given text or whatever. But um, but oftentimes, like, you might read something and come up with something crazy <laughs> right. that's not really there. Right. And you share that with someone in the in, in, at church and be like, you know, I don't think it says that. <laughs> right. And that's a good thing, too. Uh, I think, uh, right? So I, as we're talking about growing in knowledge, is it fair to say that um, there there is a, you have to be willing to be teachable and, you know, like, consider that your conclusions um, your conclusions may not may not be right. Yes, mm-hmm. 
and we're you have to continue learning and growing. Um, yes, and that that I don't know. I I know I grow the most. I've not, you know we grow we grow like when we're working together, doing what God has called us to do, trying to search the scriptures and know Him more, so that we can do the work that God has called us to do, equip the saints to do the work of ministry. There's something that's uh, you know. Yeah, I'm still learning. Yeah, it's crazy. No, it is, and that that the idea of being a Brian, the Brians were not by themselves. It wasn't be an individual. Mm-hmm. The Brians, as a community, understood the Old Testament well enough to hear what the teacher said and verify what he said with the Old Testament mm-hmm. in a community setting. Yes, and then even even our text this last week of Bible study, you know the the prayer of Paul that he would that God would grant you to be strengthened with power through the spirit and the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, right? And faith is, is a trust in who he is. So that requires knowledge and you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to, again, here's a comprehend, right? That you would understand with all the saints mm-hmm. and there's your church family, right? With yeah. the, so that you're not just comprehending by yourself, right? You're comprehending in this community, and what is it that you're comprehending? What is the breadth and length and height and depth, right? In other words, you know, every direction possible and, you know, it's expansive. It's not limited. It's not a trickle. It's, you know, the ice bucket challenge is a lot. And what is it that you would know? To know the, the love of Christ, which mm-hmm. surpasses knowledge. Yeah. And that's crazy, right? That then again, there's that love is greater than knowledge. And so... If you're going to be filled up to the fullness of God, if you're going to be a godly person who represents God in the way that he wants you to represent him in all of his fullness, you've got to have the head knowledge that is produced in love, and you've got to understand his love and how that's produced in ourselves as well. It's crazy. Yeah. Knowledge and love with the saints. Mm. Yeah, it's it's interesting. We're studying the infinitude and the eternity of God tomorrow, and... Oh, yeah. uh, it, to realize that God is so infinitely knowledgeable among the many infinite things that he is. And sometimes, you know, we're a culture that worships the expert and, uh, and, you know, even in the church, sometimes people think, Oh, you know, three PhDs and so on or whatever. And it's like, that's the expert. They know everything they've written 50 books, et cetera. So I listen to, to that person, but I've found that some of the men that I, uh, admire and respect the most are people who have left enough room to say I could be wrong. Yeah. You know, enough room to say, you know, I've, I've studied all of this and this is where I land on this, but hey, if somebody brings something more compelling, I'm willing to be wrong. And that's actually why I love and, and trust you guys a lot because, you you know, there's that sense in which you're, you're never sitting there answering me all the time like I know it all. And you, you know, and and so on. So, the community helps with fostering that humility too, Agreed. because it doesn't matter. You're gonna run into someone like you've been to seminary all your, whatever, like how many degrees you have, and you're gonna run into somebody who's gonna teach you something. And yeah. and there's you know, and it makes me think about Paul, where it's like I I not that I've already attained, you know, but right. I but I press onward. So leaving enough malleability in your convictions. You know, I think some people struggle with like, well, I need to be immovable in my convictions. And any kind of compromise means 
I've equivocated or I've compromised, but that's right. not really what it means to have convictions. Right. Right. To have convictions is to to give it a foundation of humility to yes. be able to say, I'm not the infinite God who knows it all. Right. And my knowledge is continuing to grow. So I should leave enough room for people to tell me I'm wrong. Yes. And therein lies the ultimate value of the community, one of the many values of the community. Yeah, yeah that isolation, right? Proverbs. It's deadly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. Did we exhaust knowledge? Did we grow knowledge in this podcast? Oh, I hope so. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I, I think I have it written down here. Knowledge equals worship, love, wisdom, uh, or should equal, or should point, should, you should, um, it should lead to those things. I mean, maybe, is that, is that fair to say that it's a way to test if you're growing the right way in knowledge, if you're growing in your worship, your love, and in wisdom? Yes. Can yes. I can I also add to at at the end just a little comment that that says we're also not saying that the pursuit of increasing knowledge is valueless, right? right? In terms of technical knowledge, like we all that all of us are continuing to read. Yes, like yes. we're continuing to study. We're continuing to read articles. We're continuing to read books and things like mm-hmm. that. It's just that in the church. We're looking at across the spectrum of the people of the church, and and I have my own personal study, and I'm we're looking at the church, and we're seeing what does the church needs for their personal study, yes, to grow in Christ and in love and everything you just mentioned. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yes. So, like we, in a sense, we have different skill sets, mm-hmm. um, but in the end, like we're all trying to do one thing, which is to grow in love. And and you know what I mean? Right. Like we're trying to we're trying to grow in love. Yeah. Because I think when we put together like the men's study or the, the Saturday study, the idea is who God is should shape how we worship and serve other people. And so in a sense, right, we are looking at the needs of the church saying, Hey, we understand that everybody needs to be mature servants. And so what does it take to to help the church body be mature servants? And one of the big things about that is to say, well, we need to all have a common view of God. We need to grow in a knowledge of God, realizing that we're not always going to all see every jot and tittle the same. But at the same token, based on who he is, should shape who we, what we do together as a group. And that's what's interesting, right? And so the reason why we have the Tuesday and the Saturday and then the, the, the Bible studies is to try to get, right, we do want the whole church to be at those, right? And the reason why we offer a couple differences is because we realize it's hard for some to be there on a Saturday, hard for some to be there on Tuesday, you know. Um, but we're also saying, like, this is not the kind of thing that you can give everybody a homework assignment, say, go home and read knowledge of the Holy. And then we'll come back like, because we've all read the same 12 books, knowledge of the Holy, knowing God by J.I. Packard, praying with Paul D.A. Carson, right? Very, very informative, very core, helpful books. 
or nine marks of a healthy church and the you know Tom Curtis Thomas's book Life in the Body of Christ. We can all read those together at home. And when we come together on Sunday, it doesn't mean we have a common based knowledge of how to walk together. And that's why these studies have to be done in community because it's interesting, even though you maybe have one person driving the discussion from, from a pulpit, so to say, or, or in Bible study, the fact that it's in community and we hear it together and then we're able to talk about what this means for ministry together it it allows for even conversations to grow with that. Mm. And so it's almost to the point to where if you, you know, like, you know, a naysayer probably at that point, at some point just needs to go find another church because if you can't right, the point is as a community, we need to learn together. Mm. And so if you can't learn in that community environment, then it's probably you've already rejected the community, you know, um, or the pride of self-isolation, right? And that you're isolating yourself because really you seek your own desires. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, like you're dangerous, your heart's in a bad place and your pride has led you away from the community. But but we are to comprehend with the saints. Mm-hmm. And so we're understanding the height and depth and breadth of God together. There's something about being together, studying these things together that's helpful. Yeah. Is it safe to say then that the the banner that we are waving here at Cornerstone is that we want to see the church be more Christ-like. Yes. And everything we teach yes. is for that. Yes. And all the resources, everything we learn, everything we discuss and all of that is is pointing towards everything we kind of discussed tonight, which is what we want yep. to see the church become. Yep. Yeah. And that's the direction we're headed. Yep. That's what we're all on board with. Yep. Yeah, so we yeah, we are trying yep. to teach, educate. There there's a sense in which I would, you know, I always think about the Air Force couples that come in and live here for a couple of years and are part of us for a couple of years and move on. I always rejoice when they say to me, I grew in my knowledge of God and I better understand what it looks like to be involved in a church and to serve the church. Mm-hmm. It's like, Amen, that's awesome. Praise God. Hallelujah. Yeah. Yeah. Well I like it. Good stuff. That was good. Uh, All right. Shall we call it, uh, did we bang this drum enough? <laughs> oh, I don't know. The, the problem with this discussion is there's just 60,000 more questions in my head. Yeah. So, but sure. I'm sure we'll figure it out down the road. I mean, we're still learning. We are. We're still growing in knowledge. I think that's the thing, too. Like, we're we are growing. a church who's, we, we're, not, so we're not coming to everybody saying we have it all together. Mm-hmm. Let's say, hey, let's learn together and grow together. Yes. Yep. Okay. That's all we're saying. Yep. I like come, it. come learn with us. Come learn with us. Yeah. There yep. you go. And worship Jesus Christ. And uh, yeah. Yep. And learn to drink good coffee. <laughs> I like it. All right. Love you guys. Mm-hmm.